Hey, it's Bill Simmons. Wanted to make sure you subscribe to The Watch with Andy Greenwald and Chris Ryan, two longtime friends who have had this podcast since 1973. Yeah, that's how long. It was even before podcasts they were having this. These guys spent their whole life arguing with each other. And now we just record it and they go at it. They talk about everything pop culture. It is one of the most popular pop culture podcasts, especially valuable during Game of Thrones season. But uh, they'll argue about movies, music, TV, you name it. The Watch, one of the best pop culture podcasts on the internets. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. This is Larry Wilmore, and you are listening to Larry Wilmore Black on the Air. Nice to have you guys out there. Appreciate all the support for everybody listening to this podcast. My podcast. People listening to my podcast. I appreciate it. I am having a lot of fun. What are we, Zach, about a year and a half into this thing? I really enjoy talking to the people on the show. And hearing from all of you out there who listen to the show, really appreciate it. Try to put on some guests that you might be interested in. Today we have a very special guest, uh, Jill Soloway, who the last few years has been one of the top, uh, certainly, creators, writers in Hollywood. She created the show Transparent, and um, I think I Love Dick was the other one. Both um, big shows over at Amazon, which has been in that uh big Netflix business to Amazon is trying to reshape itself as a content provider. And certainly Jill has been one of the important people over there. So Jill and I have run into each other over the years. I've always, I've been a fan of hers and everything. And it was really nice to sit down and talk to her. She's got some, a real interesting story about her journey from pretty much being a straight woman to where she is now. And I'll let her explain that because <laughs> it's, it's not as easy as it would seem to be. It's very interesting. Um, so I think you'll enjoy that conversation. I don't have much to weigh in on, as I like to say today. As you know, Brett Kavanaugh was sworn in, so I think people are kind of <laughs> exhausted by that whole thing. And now the midterms are coming up. So I just want to encourage people to get out and vote. Get out, especially register. Register to vote. Check the registration date. Some have passed in some states. Some are still open. I just changed my uh, address. I have forgotten to do that, so I went on the registration site, changed it. I'm all up to date. Feel good about that. And But I just want to encourage everybody, Democrat, Republican, Independent, Libertarian, whatever, register, get out to vote, use your voice. Here's where your voice matters, you guys, at the ballot box. I'm not saying it doesn't matter anywhere else, but here's where it's most effective. Um, it seems to me that the House is going to be vulnerable to a change. I don't think the Senate is. That looks like it will probably stay Pretty close to the way it is, but you never know. Um, but the more people that get out and make a difference with their vote, which is your voice as well, then let's do this. And, um, you know, that's how we create change. As Obama said, don't boo, vote. Boo! <laughs> I think people boo after he says that, too. They boo before and then after. I think it's kind of funny. Oh, Obama. Boy, that seems so long ago. It really does. It's so weird. Every time I even see Trump, when I see them say, President Trump, I go, this can't be happening. I don't know about you guys, but I still feel like it's some weird dream that I'm going to wake up from, some nightmare or something, you know. And I have to say, as much as I hate saying these things, and you guys know I try to keep it real, um, Trump predicted that 
um, he would win so much, we would be sick of his winning. We'd be tired. You're going to be sick of winning. We, I actually am sick now. Trump is correct. He predicted that we would be sick of his winning, and I am sick of his winning. So let's change that. Let's register to vote. Or if you're supporting him, go out, go out and vote too. You know, Do what you got to do. Let's do it, you guys. It's coming up soon. All right. So anyhow, that's it. We got basketball season starting pretty soon. I'm going to be doing a, a special little thing uh, about basketball. I think is that a separate thing, Zach, we're doing? Zach is the disembodied voice. It's totally separate, but it is on the Ringer Networks. So be looking for that. That'll be a lot of fun. But I will be using this space, of course, to weigh in on my Lakers. This is an important year, and we'll see what happens. Okay, my conversation with Jill Soloway coming right up. All right, welcome back. Um, I have a very special guest today. I say special because there are people in the business who... You don't really know, but you admire and you come across. And this is a person I've come across many times and I've always wanted to get to know, actually. And who's just been burning up for a while now, Ms. Jill Soloway. Yeah. Creative, transparent. And I love, I love Dick. I love sure? Dick, yes. I love Dick, yeah. yeah. And I guess I should uh, correct you. Two of my you. favorite titles, by I the way. I should probably correct you on the Ms. thing. Yes. Right. Because I guess the correct honorific would be Mix, M-X. M- oh, I Which did not is know the that. Non-binary, gender-neutral. Very nice pronoun. And I only protect. I only. I'm, I'm only gonna. I'm only gonna correct you, for fun. No, I like being so that cor- we can enjoy this. No, because part of this conversation, Crazy and moment. I'm glad you brought that. Because part of this conversation, definitely for me at least, <laughs> and I'm kind of laughing because I remember on the nightly show, I had a segment where I had. Uh, sometimes I would have people on to explain things because yes. I thought explaining is a really valuable yeah. thing for us, you know, especially these days, you know. Yeah. And uh, it's funny that Twitter would blow up into arguments about explanations. I'm like, guys, we're just trying to understand yeah. things, you know. But the need to understand, I think, is a great place for us to be in. Yeah. You know? So tell me, tell me about MX. Okay. So yeah, I have recently started identifying as non-binary. No. Now is it non-binary? There's a, a a dash in it? No. No, just non-binary. <laughs> we're, yeah, we're taking the dash okay, out. Right. That's not what you were going to ask. Okay. I'm trying to make sure that the spelling of just the non-binary yes, without the it. dash is okay. getting spread. Right. Yeah, and I just want you to know I have a total sense of humor about it. Yes. I'm not here to, like, call anybody out. Well, as a comedy writer, that's a good thing. Yes. Yeah. Right. And so I don't. I think people are always afraid they're going to get in trouble yes. by getting it wrong because the they thing is so hard for people. Right. So the thing I like to say is she and her is fine. They and them is like frosting. Uh-huh. It's like a delight. So, and they and them—this <laughs> is great because as I'm starting, I'm, I'm trying to understand. So, they and them—so tell me, why is that frosting? Frosting, okay, because okay. it would mean that if you said— Jill Soloway is here, and they are talking about their latest book. Uh-huh. It would imply that I'm not writing a woman's book or a man's book. Mm-hmm. I'm not a female or a male. I'm not coming here with a feminine perspective or a masculine perspective. Right. I'm somewhere in between. Yeah. In terms of gender. Yes, right? I'm not. Be- I'm not male. I'm not female. Right. In other words, sort of like it's it. pat, but not funny. Yes, and sad, yes, yes. but more good. <laughs> and as I like to say, you're coming in as Jill. 
Sure. Basically. Perfect. Is another way to say. Right. And and your book is She Wants It. Yes. Which is which is a very uh, provocative title. Especially also. when I don't identify as a she anymore. It's like who am I talking about? See? There who you is go. she? Did you had you thought about naming it They Want It? I did think about changing the name. Yeah. Yeah, because I I I've been obsessed with this idea of gender and consent for a long time. Yes. So long that when I was in my early twenties I tried to get a grant for a documentary called She Wants It. Uh-huh. So I've been thinking about this thing, which is basically that a couple of men men can look at a woman and say she wants it as an insult. Uh-huh. But yet for women to want to become artists, directors, creators, we have to want things. We have mm-hmm. to want to cast that actor. We have to want to film a scene. We have to want, want, want. Mm-hmm. But yet women wanting things is generally an excuse for harming them mm-hmm. sexually. She wants it as like an insult mm-hmm. that men use to objectify women. And, so and, what happens to our desire, basically? Right. And it sounds like women have have been um, not forthcoming with wanting to show that they want something. Is that the other part of it? You can't because it's too dangerous in mm-hmm. patriarchy to want something. Mm-hmm. You have to be very, very careful if you're a woman. You have like about a, squ- a quarter inch of real estate you can stand on as a woman to be mm-hmm. safe. And you're only really safe if you say, I didn't want it. Uh-huh. Like one of these things we notice in all of these consent conversations are the women who are getting protected are the ones who are saying, I didn't even know what he was doing or why he was doing it. Sure. I didn't want to be there. I didn't. It was a big no from me. Mm-hmm. But what about the women who were like a little bit yes, maybe in the beginning, and things turned weird? You can't even admit to even a little bit of desire if you right. want protection from the law. Yeah. There, all, there seems to be so much blame put on that is connected to a woman's desire. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why the title of the book, I decided to keep it as she wants it instead of moving into they want it. Because it's really, that's what it's about. It's mm-hmm. about, I think I, I, I'm i looking back. Like, I don't know how long we've known each other. But when we first met, I was probably like much more feminine and kind of slightly more ladylike. And now I'm kind of masculine appearing. Uh-huh. So for me, that journey made me realize how much feminineness made me not be able to tell even for myself if I was consenting. So do you feel like um, you're on a journey? Does that what you're I hope I'm done with this damn journey, Larry. <laughs> I'm, I, where else can I go? I have no right. hair, no makeup, and I'm wearing all black. So I think I'm as yeah. close to being I think like, you fit into Los Angeles yeah. pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'm trying to be done. Uh-huh. I'd like to be done. When did when did you when did you feel like you started this journey? Like when when was the first sense? Because uh, you have a, an interesting home story, too. One of your parents so, came yeah, out, right? and Yeah, my yeah. parent came out as trans, and that's where the book starts. So yes. that phone call of my parent calling me to say, Jill, I'm trans. Right. And how old were you then? This was like six years ago. Oh, this is very recent. Yeah, this okay. is why all this craziness is happening. Right. This just happened. So, yeah, I think I spent my whole life going, why do I feel so uncomfortable mm-hmm. with these things about, like, being a woman? Why am I always so angry? Right. Why am I pissed about high heels and spanks and hair and makeup? How many brothers and sisters do you I have? I have one older sister. And and you have collaborated with her, right? Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. So you and your older sister, um, did you guys talk about anything like this when you were growing up? Did you have any kind of— conversations around these types of things at all? Do you have any memories of that type of thing? Interestingly, I think we both didn't really um, think of ourselves in those feminine roles. So Uh I think we sort of thought of ourselves as boys in a way. Oh, interesting. We have like a joking idea for a 
show we want to do called the Soloway Brothers. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I think because we had each other and we were like in this amazing creative thing, sort of like the Duplass Brothers maybe, sure. where we were just yes-anding and making things. How much older is she? 18 months. Oh, so you're very close. Very yeah. close, yeah. Sure. So we just had this mm-hmm. like whole comedy writer's room on our living room floor when we right. were five and six years old. Yeah, my brother and I kind of had you that You had that, well. right. Yeah. So that gives you this kind of like mirroring where you sure. can just build and grow amazing content. Yeah. And that, you know, at that time we were just writing and creating and we were gathering like the neighborhood children into shows and mm-hmm. we were making things, so. And at that point it was more of a, just a creative expression, right? Yeah, just right. having fun as a kid, sure. playing. Mm-hmm. How old were you when you first discovered that uh, you were on this particular journey? Like there was something going on that maybe you hadn't expressed yet or that? Literally when my parent came out, that phone call. So it's very recent for you. I didn't know this about you. It's like six years ago. This is amazing to me. I used to be a straight lady. (laughs) I was a heterosexual lady. Husbands and boyfriends. I used to be a straight lady. I really did. I was a lady and I was straight. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And and all those times when for for those years when you were a straight lady, I yes. love that term. That's hilarious. It's a heterosexual woman. You were a heterosexual woman. <laughs> um, did you feel like hmm something doesn't feel right or something's not? I did okay. fight a lot with my boyfriends and okay. various husbands, and I was kind of resentful and angry. Mm. Yeah, I was like something in the book. I talk about like date night was date night meant we're going to have a fight in three hours. Wow. So something about like getting getting dressed up. Wow. The whole thing that went with like, I'm going to put my face on, I'm going to put my hair on, I'm going to put my outfit on. Mm -hmm. Other women had fun with that. Yes. Where they're like, ooh, I'm turning into deluxe me. Yes. I'm turning, yes. And I would go, what the, I don't get this. Why is this fun for them? This is torture. See, that's something that, uh, I'll say straight men don't, ever have to go through that type of transformation. Yes. You know, we've always could just show up as we are. That's what I wanted. Yeah, and then there's that silent expectation because right. it's never it's never voiced really until something different happens. And then it's like, whoa, what the fuck happened? We had a silent contract here that you were going to change or you were going to present yourself as something. That she was going to. Yes, exactly. Yes. yes. It's this, this silent contract that we're talking about. Like, I'm so interested in this. Yeah. Because... You know, my, let's say my husband and I, for example, like normally work me. Mm-hmm. I wear jeans. I wear a T-shirt. I don't mm-hmm. wear makeup. Sure. Even when I had like long hair and was a little more femme. Mm-hmm. So if he and I were running into each other in the middle of the day, we would have like a totally normal conversation. We also work together. So mm-hmm. good times, fun. Sure. Equals. Meeting of the minds. hmm Date night. I disappear for an hour. Mm. Take a shower. I dry my hair. Mm-hmm. I get my curling iron out. I put some makeup on. Yeah. I put an outfit on. I present myself. If he didn't say, oh, my God, you look amazing, like right away, I would slowly start to go, oh, I can't fucking believe I just did all this. That's and he didn't a, even notice. It's so interesting when you say it like that. I. It's so funny how it's one of those things that is hiding in plain sight yes. in society where the way that you explain it, it sounds so horrible to me of that. There's this change yes. that can happen, you know, for people that that want that, it's one thing. But if it feels weird, right? Know, and then so like right. take the change out to the car where he would he wouldn't open the door for me. Not mm-hmm. like I would give a shit normally. Sure. But for some reason now I'm wearing heels. Like open right. the door. It's kind of the old school expectation. Right. right? But why? Yeah. This is so dumb. Open the door and then there'd be like some garbage in the passenger seat and I'd go off. Like you didn't even get your car clean today. Like uh-huh. I. Tur- 
by dressing up femme, yes. I turned into this other person yeah. who wanted to be taken care of in a way sure. that neither of us understood. Right. And that's why that we would have a fight in a few hours. It's not even his fault. It's mine. Yeah, it reminds me of the short story. Uh, I don't know if clothes make the man or if that's what that's what it is, but but just how and a lot of the when I was studying act, acting in my college days, you know, um, we used to talk about the difference between, let's say, the English method and the American method. And the American method was a very inner method, you know. They started with the with method acting and the group theater, Stella Adler, and all that, mm-hmm. you know, and investigating your personal life and all that stuff and pain and hurt and all that stuff, bringing it up and using it as a tool. Whereas the English method was from the outside in. Mm. You know, you put in a coat and it tells you something. It affects your behavior. Mm. But And it is interesting how both are valid, how how physical things can affect you emotionally. Yes. And after time, your I believe your body believes anything you tell it long enough. Yes. You know, and it will have an effect on you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so for me, the layer of I'm— I'm wanting to be looked at. Yes. I'm wanting to be taken in and admired. Presenting yourself to be objectified almost. Yeah, or mm-hmm. even if it's not if you don't even want to make it sound bad because there are a lot of people who dress up femme. Yeah. And it makes them feel good. Mm-hmm. It makes them feel like themselves. If their partner looks at them and says, "My god, you look fucking amazing." Yeah. I don't need to call that objectifying. Right. That's fine to just be admiring. Sure. It just felt weird to me because I think because it wasn't really who I am. Mhm. You know. I could do it, and I was good at it, meaning that, like, I got a lot in my 20s and 30s from, quote-unquote, looking hot and getting men to allow me access to certain worlds because I was, quote-unquote, hot. Right. So I did it. But I think once my parent came out, I realized that I had a genderqueer legacy. Uh-huh. That these, all these feelings I had of, like, oh, my fucking body, and oh, I don't know what to wear, and oh, why— heels and also a thing that was really happening with transparent was I was doing a lot of press Mm -hmm. and so I'd be in the writer's room wanting to work and I'd have to go sit and get my hair and makeup done Mm -hmm. so that somebody could take a picture of me and I'd be losing two hours of work Right. and I was like well I know John Apatow's not doing this (laughs) I know J.J. Abrams isn't doing this I know Larry Wilmore isn't doing this I always joke guys my hair's a good hour and a half so let's go (laughs) but like that's privilege you know that you don't have to transform yourself into somebody else to get a tent to be looked at publicly mm-hmm. and women do most many women do have to put a certain amount of makeup on mm-hmm. and get their hair done to have a public forum right and there are many women as you say that enjoy that you know that's part of their ritual of maybe yes. they, it makes them feel better about themselves right. or that's how they want to present themselves to the world, you know, f- for whatever reason. That's that's what they like. And but, I know some women, mm-hmm. um, and actually, you know, for me, I, I learned a lot of this with my very, like, my, one of my biggest sociological experiments is watching Kardashians. It's really important. <laughs> oh, you call it a sociological Yeah, because I'm right. watching them spend a ton of time getting dressed up right. and loving it. So you'll watch them in their glam room, and they'll spend hours uh-huh. just enjoying the feeling of, bringing beauty into their sisterhood. They'll all sit there together and they'll have their hair and makeup people and they'll use glam time as a time to relax, chat, enjoy, and share love. Mm -hmm. Decorating themselves as a 
group art form. Getting your hair did can be very relaxing. <laughs> For some people. <laughs> I did go to the barbershop yesterday, and it's totally different getting a haircut yes. in a barbershop than it is in a salon. I love the barbershop. I, I love it. it. Like, the whole ritual, whether it's getting your hair done in a barbershop, to me, is an awesome ritual. Like, to me, it's old-school town hall. You know, when people are in there and you can talk about things, talking shit or whatever. Like, the black barbershop, to me, of course, is the best in terms of that. Yeah. This is kind of like hipster Latino barbershop. A lot of silence. A lot of Mm -hmm. just men being kind of quiet. A lot of awkwardness. I think that it feels a little bit more like a meditation. Uh (laughs) Whereas, like, when I would go to the salon, it would always be, like, the chick going, like, so do you have any plans for the weekend? And I'd be like, oh, gosh, who wants to have to? We go, going anywhere fun tonight? Uh-huh. And I would have to talk about my emotions around getting my hair done yeah. and ha- wanting to look pretty. Again, like this awkward feeling of like, I don't want to talk about my plans this weekend. Yes. So tell I me. could just be non-binary or annoyed or yes. easily annoyed. <laughs> right. So where were you at when your—which uh, parent came out? Your my for, The person who was assigned father. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So when your father came out, um, where were you at in your life at that Sitting time? Sitting at the kitchen table, mm-hmm. answering the telephone. Mm-hmm. I had just gotten a short film into Sundance. Mm-hmm. I had just decided. Was I'm the, so tired of being. Was it, what's her name, asshole? Was that Courtney Cox's yeah. asshole. <laughs> yes, what's her name's. It's, right. it's That's old, an amazing title. <laughs> a what's her name's asshole. Yes. Uh, Jill Soloway with what's her name's asshole. Yeah. Uh, I would have gone with that title. But yeah, Cor- yeah. It was called Courtney Cox's asshole. That was a short yeah. story. Okay. That wasn't a film. That, that, was, that should film. be a film. Okay, got it. Yeah. Uh-huh. That would be good. No, I just love that title. It's I just the have best. to say it. Yes. There's nothing better. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Nothing more awkward than meeting Courtney Cox shortly after that gets yes, published. Yes, I can imagine. At a party. It yes. happened. Very good. <laughs> okay, so you had just done a short film. <laughs> I had made a short film right. and I had just found out that I was going to get to take it to Sundance. Very exciting. So I remember feeling very much like how could you do this to me right now when I'm thinking about Sundance? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I had this, like, kind of selfish reaction. Yeah. Um, you felt—did you feel—well, this is interesting. Did you feel sabotaged, or did you—because I think it's very interesting when parents um, talk about their personal lives to yeah. their children. It's a very interesting thing. I, some of it is—you know, children have a tough time believing their parents are even people. Yeah. You know, you know, we put them in a certain place. They're, we kind of shield them from yeah. real life. Yeah, do you life. have kids? Yes, I do. Yeah. yeah, and do you like to try to protect them from your reality? Well, no, it's interesting. Um, well, to some extent, you know, I'm divorced, and so I didn't want them to be involved in all of that drama. You know, there's some that you can't help. But right. They're, you know, for the most part, and both my wife and I felt the same way about this. We wanted to protect them from a lot of that. Yeah. You know, and give them as good a childhood as you can in those situations. But I've always tried to speak to them very plainly and very directly, you know, and had really great conversations with them, you know, about a number of topics. Um, and both of them are interested in different things in the world in different ways. So I've always tried to treat them individually in that way. But I've never, like, exposed a lot of my personal things to them because mm-hmm. I just felt out of place doing that. Like, I'm like, that, and maybe it's because I got that a lot from from my mother, you know, mm. and it felt like a burden to me, like an unnecessary burden. Mm-hmm. And I love my mom, of course, and wanted to take care of her, but I was so young. Yeah. I felt robbed of my childhood a bit. Yeah. Which makes sense. I'm in showbiz. I get to have my childhood 24-7. Right. <laughs> is that what we're all doing? That's my short little bio. Of course, yeah. that's what we're all doing. This yeah. is all about reclaiming our childhood, mm. all of showbiz, mm. in many ways. Yep. Mm. That's my book, Reclaiming My Childhood. I'm buying it. Yep. 
your book and your story. I'm going to write it right now. Okay, good. (laughs) Wait, let's make the Courtney Cox's asshole film first. Yes. (laughs) I really want to make that film. (laughs) That would be amazing. Hey, that's the project we will work on We've been looking for something. There it is. It writes itself sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. I wonder if we could get Courtney Cox to be in it. Probably not. She did Mm. not like the notion of the story. She's not happy about it. No. Okay. So your father shares this with you. You're about yeah, to go to was, Sundance. So yeah, the world well, turns upside down a little bit? Or yeah. your first reaction is, what? Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I guess we should say my parent because it would be misgendering them to call them my father. Right. Even though they were my father As you said, the, the person who was designated as yes. your father. Right. Um, and, you know, I think I had a lot of thoughts pop mm-hmm. off in my head really quick. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, first, of course, was, okay, I have my show. Like, Immediately, because mm-hmm. as somebody who was like kind of hitting my head on the glass ceiling of other people's shows mm-hmm. for 10, 15 years, sure. writing pilots and never getting them made, I mm-hmm. was like, oh my God, this is my thing. This is it. So that's the embarrassing part. I thought about kind of the creative possibilities. Mm-hmm. And on a sort of track at the same time of course I'm thinking I love you I'm here for you I want to make sure I say the things that mm-hmm. let you know that I know how vulnerable this moment is and that I'm on so that's what I was consciously saying was sure. I love you I'm so proud of you for telling me mm-hmm. all of those things um, but yeah it was a bit of like a light bulb kind of like a, a beat change mm-hmm. a turning point in your inciting incident it was in an inciting terms. incident mm-hmm. yeah because I think I had had a lot of gender trouble over the years mm-hmm. and it had been disguised as kind of like feminist rabble rousing mm-hmm. like why can't women do this and why can't I do that and um, I didn't of course think of myself as non-binary or even mm-hmm. you know in any way trans at that moment but I did think this is a key. This is a key. Okay. There's a there's there's a door that I'm going to be able to open, and I'm going to go through it, and a bunch of new stuff is going to is going to kind make, of provided a clue sense. to yeah. to maybe where you were going in your life. And did you at that time uh, or shortly thereafter come out yourself as transgender? Is that how you first? No, um, okay. I think because you did define yourself as that at one point, right? Or as trans? You? Yes. Yes. So. Mm-hmm. That's sort of like the third or fourth step. Oh, okay. I think the first— What was that first step? The first step was, um, boy, I am—things are not as I thought. Mm-hmm. And I think for whatever reason in our family of origin—so my sister is a lesbian. Okay. She came out in her early 20s. And mm-hmm. for whatever reason, I just decided Faith's the gay one and I'm the straight one. Right. <laughs> I don't know why. And And— how did your parents react to that? Totally fine. Totally fine. Cool with okay. faith. Yeah, well, you know, upper middle class, intellectual Jewish family. Got it. In Chicago, my parent is a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. You know, liberal, totally liberal childhood. If any family is supposed to understand that, that's the family. Yes. Got it. So faith was like totally accepted by the family and her lesbianism was applauded, mm-hmm. occasionally announced to waiters. Mm-hmm. That's my daughter, hilarious. Faith. That's so funny. She's a lesbian. <laughs> my mom was all, you know, so. And our into, other daughter, Jill. Yeah, not mm-hmm. yet a lesbian. Um, and so, lesbian yeah, it was, that was just the story. In lesbian in waiting. Mm-hmm. That was just the story of like Faith's the gay one, Jill's the straight one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it went. And so I think the first thing when my parent came out was like I don't have to be normal okay so normal was the Whatever word you, normal that was. came to you first yeah of, you don't have to 
relate to this notion of what normal is. Yeah. As opposed to, because the traditionally what people would think is, are, is someone thinking that maybe they're gay? Yeah. Right? But you had a, with you it was a relationship to normal, right? So it was like, it was like, yeah, this picture, like I'm the, I'm the heterosexual right? woman. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't question really my gender, but I did go, oh my God, I've been, I've had so much upset about my relationship to gender my whole life. Maybe mm-hmm. this will help. And then I think maybe a couple years later after that phone call. Um, and were you married at this time? I was married. Okay. And did you have any conversations with your husband at the time? Yeah, I mean, this? we talked mm-hmm. constantly, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think— were you guys really good friends? Oh also? yeah, good. yeah. We that's loved great. each other, and we still are. Oh, I think he awesome. was annoyed by my haranguing. Mm-hmm. You know, I couldn't. It was very hard for me to um, see a movie without coming out afterwards and talking about the sexism in it mm-hmm. and the misogyny in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I just saw everything through this lens, mm-hmm. which was almost a little bit of a gender reversal lens. I'm now mm-hmm. realizing. So even before my parent came out, 25 years before my parent came out, I sold a movie that was a gender reverse world. Remember mm-hmm. that movie? I think it was Black Like like Me or White Like Me. Um, somebody wrote a movie where, like, what if the, the sure. races were reversed? Yes. There, there have been different incarnations of that. Yeah. Yes. I sold a gender movie like that uh-huh. when I was in my 20s or early 30s. Right. Because I felt so clearly that I could see the world reversed. Mm-hmm. I was, like, obsessed with this idea of what if all the police were women and what if all the football players were women and what if all the army was women? Like, what would it feel like to be a man surrounded mm-hmm. by female police, female army, female sports on TV all day, female right. world leaders? I wanted so badly for men to feel how we felt. Sure. And I wanted to translate it creatively. Yeah. And It's like when white people say, Larry, how come you think about race all the time? I go, all right, imagine yourself in Roscoe's chicken waffles. Yeah. You know? <laughs> All right, and it said, would you think that you're white when you're sitting in there amongst black yeah, people? Right. I said, I said mm, okay, I would. Okay, now magnify that to 24 hours a day, yeah. 365 days a yeah. year, and try not to think about your, your race. whiteness, yeah. Yes. Yes. That's the way I felt about gender, mm-hmm. and that's the way I feel about gender. So I think for him it was just like a little bit annoying mm-hmm. that that's kind. Of, that was kind of my main focus. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the way I saw the world. And what do, what do you think was annoying to him about that? Why did, did you think that he felt threatened in some way, or was he just like, "Come on, can we can we talk about the Lakers or something else?" Here? I, yeah, I mean, I mm-hmm. think maybe we just had different interests. Okay, you know, mine mine was in feminism, and you know, the kind of casual misogyny that a lot of men indulge in mm-hmm. was, I hate to use the word triggering, but I would get really mad, mm-hmm. you know. And this was something I'm guessing that he didn't have an awareness of. Well, you know, how, right. all men do it. They, mm-hmm. you know, they otherize women together. Mm-hmm. You know, this there's a, a kind of corroboration that happens between two straight men where they might say, "Oh yeah, she was asking for it, or she wants it, or mm-hmm. let's look at her together." Um, I think women are asked to kind of participate in that kind of thing in the straight world, mm-hmm. watching two men look at a woman together whether they're saying something positive or negative. Mm-hmm. Um, I, could, I just I couldn't abide that kind of thing. And so I, w- I would probably call him out a lot, and he would just be like, can't we just have fun? Mm-hmm. Um, I would imagine that my movement from dating men to from being married to starting to date women was as much about wanting to spend time with people who wanted to be 
who, where we wanted to be inside each other's minds mm-hmm. and ask that question, what are you thinking about now? What are you thinking about now? Gender. Oh, good. Me too. Misogyny. Oh, good. Me too. You know, sexism. Oh, God. Me too. It's you like crazy. fun things for a first date. <laughs> but uh, oh, queer women love to talk about these things. Right, right, right. Straight men don't, you know? Yeah. So I think I just found like, okay, when I'm around queer, me- queer women, I can just be loose, mm-hmm. be me. You don't have to worry about that judgment of these topics. Yeah, and also like if you're if you're a cis woman and you're in a relationship with a heterosexual man, like yeah, you you you're you're gently but carefully, you know, curving your personality and making sure they still feel masculine and male. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be like bringing your arguing brain. <laughs> Whereas queer women want to hear all of it. Uh-huh. I found. And so at this time, did you think, well, maybe I'm gay like my yeah. sister? Yeah. Okay. I, immediately, I was like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm probably just gay. Mm-hmm. And, and that seemed to make sense at that time, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, why, why, can't, why have I never thought about it? And also, I had like that thing where like a lot of lesbians would be like, Jill, you're so gay. Like, <laughs> That's funny. 10, 20 years of them saying, right. why don't you know you're a lesbian yet? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I actually think I'm probably... I'm attracted to men, and Mm -hmm. men were attracted to me. So because I had so much incoming, as Mm -hmm. Trump calls it, you know, like, you know how Trump's (laughs) like, uh, you know, you want incoming press? I had incoming attention my whole life from men. Mm -hmm. So I never really had to, I just never, like, thought that much. I was, you know, there was just, there were always a lot of men around, and I never had to work that hard to be in a relationship Mm-hmm. I, it was hard for me to stay in a relationship, mm-hmm. but I, yeah, I always would get a lot of attention from men, so I just assumed I was straight. Right. It didn't occur to me. That's to, what the world was telling you, right? Yeah. So at this point, you you feel like maybe I'm gay. Yes. And you start to date women. Yes. Mm-hmm. And does that how does that feel very different from your relationships with men? And does it feel better, or is there something that still feels somewhat unsatisfying in that? No, it, it it immediately felt better. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But and how long did you do that before you thought, okay, there's there's more here. There's more. Yes. But wait. More to come here. There's more. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's it's I sort of go through because it all that, in the book, but yes. Because from my point of view, and I would love to read this book. I, oh, yeah. I don't have it yet. Yeah. But um it would seem like if you think that's what it is, it's got to be frustrating to think, wait, I'm wrong? This is not what it is? Well, or no, it's frustrating I mean, it's not the right word? It's that plus more. Mm-hmm. It's actually, it hasn't been frustrating. It's actually been kind of invigorating okay. to realize that um, I can be curious and and learn about myself at this late age. So when did this plus moment come? How did that happen? Plus moment? Oh, mm-hmm. yes, and? Okay, so when I first started— Yes, yes, the improv, yes, yes. and. <laughs> when I first started dating women, mm-hmm. I think— Again, like this version of me, like five years ago, was kind of femme. Mm-hmm. So you know, not a ton of hair and makeup, but like I'm going to be the pretty one. Right. I'm going to be the one with the emotions. Uh-huh. I'm going to be the one with the needs. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> I'm going to be the one who's like, absolutely not. You know, I um, love that somebody has to provide that in the so, relationship. Exactly. Right? Somebody yeah. holds space for all the. You yeah. Know. And somebody's got to go. Mm, exactly. Mm, mm, mm. The woman goes. I was thinking about we that we should go to La Costa for the weekend. Mm-hmm. The man's like, uh. <laughs> Um, so the woman has the ideas and the needs and, you know, the, the range of the range yes. of expression, you know. Do you think that no matter what the relationship is, 
outside of men and women, there still is, let's call masculine, feminine yeah. identities. Yeah, they, I they think just, probably. They, get, they they're just, they're just exist in whatever that is because that's kind of the nature of how people come together. Maybe. Can be. I mean, I think it's kind of the nature of how some people come together, and it's mm-hmm. the easiest way to come together. Okay. You know, like, honey, let me carry those bags for you. Sure, sure. Like it helps, sure. you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, like there's know. there's the almost the the caretaker and the one. The one that likes to take care of yes. and the one that likes to be taken care of, even though they do that with each other, yeah. there's one that is the primary of that and the other is the primary yes. of this. And like default heterosexuality yes. provides some simple maps that help yes. us, right. which are, you know, the husband will, you know, carry the groceries from the car. Hopefully, well, right. Yeah, right. Yes. <laughs> and then if you're not doing it, you have issues, you know. Yes. So the, so the first, I, I, sort of, another thing that kind of helped me like with mm-hmm. all this was thinking, we learned a lot about like the BDS, BDSM community when we were doing Transparent. So... Mm-hmm. Assumed male top, assumed female bottom. Okay. The guy going, this is what we're, you know, this is what we got. Honey, I'm in charge. The Christian husband, mm-hmm. Christian American, American assumed, yeah, I got this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to lead our family. Got it. Then there's like 1A, which is happy wife, happy life. Whatever okay. she wants. Right. I work my ass off for her. She's yes. the top. Right. Whatever she wants. Yes. I'm a good man. Right. I worship women. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love women. I yes. love my wife. That's right. She has a lot of desires, and I take care of Don't them. Don't you talk about my wife. Yes. I'll kill you. Yeah. <laughs> and I work so hard because she has needs to renovate the kitchen. Yes. You know how women are. Right. You know, that's like 1A. Got it. Everything else, you got to kind of make up from scratch. Okay. Two women together, two men together, a butch woman, a femme woman. Mm-hmm. Two non-binary people. Once you get out of one and one A, man top, woman bottom, woman top, man bottom. Once mm-hmm. you get out of those structures, mm-hmm. dare I say strictures? Yes. Now you're reinventing things for your own sort of taste and uh-huh. your own life and your own relationship and how you're going to make things work. And is there comfort in trying to find those tropes that feel familiar, even like in a woman-woman relationship? Is there finding out, okay, who's going to do what? Yes. Okay. Yes. So this is this brings us back to the, mm-hmm. the so the first few years that I was mm-hmm. queer, I dated kind of butch women and I was the, the kind of You femme. were the femme and you were Yes, it was very pe- similar. Yes, okay. It was just like dating men. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Except for they were interested in me. <laughs> yes. And and let me ask you this, because this is interesting. With so with when you say butch women, does that mean they would be the more aggressor in the in the in this combo? Um I don't think it's aggressive. Does, okay. I think it's more like you know, like the way men okay. are just like, we don't have a huge range of expression. Okay, got it, got it. A man will stand next to another man and they'll be like, what year is that truck? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You watch that game? See, I love this conversation. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like I think the masculine has to, li- I've noticed the more masculine person has to limit their emotion. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And the Why feminine has, I don't know. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, it's not okay for men to be like, oh my God, I love your shoes. Right. You know, what, where'd you get your truck? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I love the, the truck shoes conversation can have so many different Yeah, because women would be like, cute shoes. <laughs> yeah. Where'd you get your truck? Yeah. Cute shoes. Oh my God, where'd you get your truck? <laughs> well, one is so excited about it, and the other seems just interested. Yeah, you well, know, but they can't oh. yet reveal their, the true nature of their interests. You know, they're yeah. withholding a bit of information yeah. there. Yeah. So tell me about your truck. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So men, I think, are expected I love that. masculinity, they're expected to limit their range, their yes. vocal range. Yeah. We're taught that at a very young age. You yeah. Know, buck up, you know. Yeah. 
hey, don't cry. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so I think that butch women maybe were a little bit more like, I'm going to I'm gonna hold space yeah, from a lady. When I ask about that truck, I'm just yeah. going <laughs> to keep it simple. <laughs> I like this truck metaphor. It's yeah. very good. Yeah. Nice truck. Cute shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that was pretty straightforward because it was like kind of do the same thing that you do with men, except right. they want to hear your ideas. You can still be in pretty much that same role. Exactly. Got it. An hour in the bathroom before you go out, the curling iron. So there's still, wait, so there's still that. There's still that, sure. Mm, okay. And that's just femme presentation. Got it. Yeah. I, feel, I hear my stomach grumbling. Um, mm-hmm. So then I started to, and I talk about this in the book, I started to get sick of any time yeah. spent in the bathroom yes. before a big reveal. Uh-huh. I just that's great. couldn't abide it any it, longer. It really, the way you describe it, it really makes it seem like like it's a, like you're on Broadway or something, you know, like you're <laughs> yeah. backstage bef- and the audience is out there with an expectation yeah. and you come out and you perform. Yes. Yeah. It's a lot because uh, what does it carry with it, you know? What does it carry with it? Have you seen um, Mrs. Maisel? The uh, I haven't. Okay, there's a— I want to. They have something in it that's been done in, in other movies. I'm, I'm not really giving anything away. But it's been—I've seen it before, but it's where the um, uh, the wife goes to bed, you know. Oh, yeah. And uh, then once the husband's asleep, she goes and takes off her makeup, yeah. you know, does it her face. Can and then you she imagine? Gets, and gets up before he wakes up. Yeah, what is this? Says, yes, and, and I can't remember fair. where I've seen that type of thing before. Yes, but well, just America, patriarchy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. In the 60s. But that that need to, like, I have to be presentable just to be, just at the first level of acceptance. Yes. Yes. That there is, like, a secret self who not even my husband sees. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like makeup as burka. Yes. Very nice. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Man. She's slinging them today. Yeah. yeah. This, is, uh, this is why I love At least them. the Burke is honest. Yes, exactly. Right. <laughs> right. There's another me behind here. Yes. Yeah. So here's, some, here's something mm-hmm. interesting. So this notion that feminine, perf- feminine performance is a form of dishonesty, which is a common American notion, I think is what has led us to our issues with consent. Is it a form of dishonesty? Well, you said it. Well, I'm saying the way that you describe it makes it sound like that play, you know, I with think, the presentation. You know, I've heard people say, Julia Serrano talks about this. She's a philosopher. Mm-hmm. And I've started to notice that th- that I think people assume that feminine performance is dishonest. Mm-hmm. I think that's misogyny. There's this idea that there are natural and good kinds of masculinity. Mm-hmm. The macho man the log chopper, mm-hmm. the guy who's a man's man. Mm-hmm. And we can really respect a man's man for being a man's man. Mm-hmm. There really isn't that equivalent for a woman's woman, a girly girl. They all have this little tinge on them of dislike. If you see a woman who's really like dressed up and feminine, you're sort of suspicious. Are you saying women are suspicious of this and women all of dislike us. this? All of us. Go. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I'm like... Oh, my God, she loves mothering. She's a great mom. She's mm-hmm. totally fulfilled mothering. You and I probably go, mm. I, don't, I would not say that. In today's world, mm-hmm. like, are there really women who love mothering, who get 100% respect from no, men and women? No, absolutely not. It's, it's always a it's little very, like, society's, she's lying. Well, as you say, society has had a very problematic relationship 
in the way it's treated women's roles yes. in that society. Yes. Yes. But I think that's come from both men and women. Yeah. I, I think as many women have an issue with that, probably less so than men, I think, with, yeah. with that notion. So the thing I talk about in the book is this thing mm-hmm. called the divided feminine, which okay. is what women, what, are, women are struggling with. What does that mean, the divided feminine? It's, it's your basic Madonna whore, mm-hmm. wife, other woman, good girl, bad girl. Mm-hmm businesswoman mom, mm-hmm. that there are these divides that men create, which help men organize reality. There was that old uh, perfume commercial. Um, you can bring home the bacon. Yes, exactly. Fry it up in a pan. That was, Anjali. Yes, Anjali. That was all about <laughs> the, the divided feminine, right? I mean, it really exactly proclaimed what it, it, was about. it proclaimed it very loud and clear. Right. But never ever let him forget he's a man. That's right. Yeah, because yeah, I'm a woman. But remember, the first thing was fry that bacon. Yeah, well, you have to bring it home. <laughs> yeah, that's right. For, and then fry it up in a pan. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. You have to bring home the bacon. You have to Why fry have to it up in a pan. Why can't it just be there? Because it was like the 70s and it was like <laughs> yes. ERA social, shoulder pads. Yes. We're like, okay, we got to bring home bacon. We got to fry it up in a pan. Ugh. And we got to never, ever, ever so let him forget work. he's a man. Yeah. Okay, so the divided feminine, as I see it in my feminist philosophy, is part of patriarchy. Uh-huh. Um, good girl, bad girl. And what I've noticed is that we women are forced to choose a side. Okay. And a side, uh, meaning what do you mean by you that? You can a be a wife of, or a daughter. A side or a of good who they're girl. going to be. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Wife, daughter, good girl. She's a good girl. She's a great girl. Sometimes mm-hmm. there'll be like a couple guys talking about like, I'm dating a woman. She's a really good girl. Have you mm-hmm. ever heard guys say that? It's, great girl, great girl. He's dating this great girl, good girl. It's like yeah. this positive, good girl. Yeah. Then there are these other women the disbelieved women, the drunk women, the sluts. Right. The strippers, the hookers. See, I believe all women are disbelieved. Yes. Right. But most men trust their wives and their yeah. daughters and their mothers. Right. So there's these other women in patriarchy who are the disbelieved. Right. I see what you're saying. Right. So a lot of men are like, yeah, my wife is a good woman. My mom's a good woman. Right. My daughter's a good woman. Yeah. These disbelieved women, there's like this really strong divide. Mm-hmm. They're not to be trusted. They are not to be trusted. Mm -hmm. And here is my really radical theory. Mm -hmm. And I talk about it in the book. Larry, have you ever wondered why men have sex in the same room with each other? Why men have sex in the same... Wait, what are we referring to right now? All these supposed, like, Mm -hmm. gang situations are three ways. Okay. My theory is that men use these degraded women to be called into being present with other men sexually. Mm-hmm. Should we go over it again? Yes. Please please <clears throat> explore this a little bit more. Yes. This is I'm my, still working on the men having room in well, the same place. There are so time. many okay. situations that we're hearing about today in the news. Mm-hmm. Kavanaugh. I never People get invited to these, these to these things. Gang. Okay, good. <laughs> that means that you are totally somehow, qualified somehow to be I've an been, ally to women. Well, I hope so. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. But I think... A lot of men know that there's this kind of patriarchal knowledge that occasionally two men have sex with one woman. Okay. Occasionally, trigger warning, there is gang rape. Don't you see that and go, what the fuck is going on? Now, is there a difference? Because we are in a we are in a different world than we were, you know, years ago. And there are people who just don't have the same definitions of what relationships are, like in terms of having— Three op- ways. Yes, open relationships. Sure. And, that. and did, 
Do you make a distinction between that? I'm talking about the passed out women. Okay. I'm talking about the the non-consenting women. Right, 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 right. One of the things I say in my book is, you know, sometimes something will happen to a woman where she'll find herself in a situation where she isn't consenting. Yes. And men feel they have permission to just do whatever they want. And also call their friend Mm -hmm. into the room. This is the part that is suspicious to me as Mm -hmm. a feminist philosopher. When this happens and we go, well, she kind of wanted it, right? Why would she be there? She was drunk. She must have wanted it, even though she's passed out. The question I ask is, why aren't we saying, why did he call his friend into the room? Mm -hmm. And my theory is that her passed outness, her inability to consent, is an excuse for men to have sex in the same room as each other. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you know why men call their friends if somebody's passed out? Well, I, I just have a, a clear, I think, a starker view. All right. Why do men call their friends if a woman is passed out? Well, the scenario that you presented to me is rape. That's yes. Not, why, why would they want another man having, there? Like, I don't consider that having sex. Why do they want another—but <laughs> if they're going to rape a woman—sorry. Why do they want another man in the room if they're not gay? Um, that I do not know. But it's so yeah. common. It's so common mm-hmm. that— I believe that the divided feminine is an excuse for there to be this. I have, I have a friend who was telling me, <clears throat> she was talking about the accused and that her father had said to her, you just don't understand men. This idea that men are animals really at their heart. You just, you know, you don't know what, a, what, a, what, what men do when they're alone together and what mm-hmm. men are like. There's who this, said this? A friend of mine's father told her. Okay. And she was like, how does this happen? He's like, men Mm-hmm. This idea that morally men are different than women, this mm-hmm. gender essentialist idea that men are animals at heart. And so I think there's this idea that there's this dark, amoral world mm-hmm. of sex that men want to blame bad women on pulling them into. Mm-hmm. Now, are you, when you say men, because I have to take an exception. Sorry, this, some because, men, some cis men. Well, I think we have to say that yes. because— I, I don't believe there's an inherent morality or amorality um, that divides these sexes. I believe sometimes there can be a structure which allows people to misbehave in certain ways at the expense of others. A Definitely. Sh- you know, A structure um, which allows people to misbehave. Correct. Or maybe a structure which encourages people to misbehave. Or allows. At the Either of those of is others. true. I mean, I can look at it from a racial point of view. Yes. You know, I would never say that— that there is an inherent immorality in white people, but I would right. say certainly there is a structure that allowed white people to be immoral. Yes. You know, and that that allowed it to happen, that there was a consent in society. Yes. But there also were a lot of white people that saw that as immoral. Yes. You know, and saw that yes. as bad behavior. Yes. And were allies, you know. Yes. And I believe it's the same thing with, with gender. You know, yes, there are there are some horrible people yes. that that will take advantage of others who are weaker. You right. know, or who are perceived as weak or treated as weak or rendered weaker for yes. whatever reason. Yes. You know? But that certainly doesn't represent all of one right. side. You yes. Know? Nor and I'm not it, talking about know? all men. I'm just presenting a theory about how men use femininity as a way to engage or femaleness as a way to, um, the, not just femaleness, the divided feminine. So the mm-hmm. idea of the, you know, it's, it is it is a very a, a great metaphor with race. It's very mm-hmm. similar. Um, well, well, some of let me just speak to the thing earlier. I think it feels to me some of what you're saying, from my um, just observing this, 
in my lifetime, there was a an immature, let's call bro high five culture, mm-hmm. you know, which to me is definitely out there. That high five men in the same room type of thing. I, I've been trying to understand, mm-hmm. you know, that emotion. But to me, that's one slice of it, you know, because there are so many um, just men who just aren't interested in that. You know, it, it just there's no appeal mm-hmm. to that, you know. Well, that's what's exciting about this moment in male mm-hmm. allies in this movement is for men like you to be willing to expose what patriarchy has done to them as well. Mm-hmm. But like, oh, I'm a guy. I hate that feeling mm-hmm. that if I'm in a room with men, I'm going to be expected to talk shit about women mm-hmm. or talk about my sex life right. or talk about some woman who doesn't belong to anybody so she's fair game. Mm-hmm. I love that men are starting to expose what patriarchy has done to them. Mm-hmm. It's a great article from one of one of Kavanaugh's classmates made saying, it sucked for me too. I was poor. I was a scholarship student. I was in Kavanaugh's class. You know what it was like to be a dude in that class? You get hit walking down the hallway. Mm-hmm. Men punch each other for no reason. Boys right. punch each other for no reason. Mm-hmm. I don't like this either. And this is, I think, our great opportunity to to begin to speak about what what patriarchy does. Yeah, yeah. It's been real interesting for me because, as I said, I've I've seen it. Like I've had both the benefit of patriarchy and the what would be the opposite of benefit, the um, minus of the white patriarchy. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like I've seen both of those things, and they both have affected my life in yes. meaningful ways. You know, do you think white patriarchy or white supremacy? Well, white supremacy. Yeah. I'm just using this, the same term, I guess. Yeah, so white women can be just as imposing Abs- around their whiteness. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, there's to me, there's not much of a distinction there. Yeah. You know, and sometimes can be even more insidious. I mean, yeah. the power that white women imposed on black men and accusing them of rape. Yes. And black men being lynched, hung up on trees. Yes. And white women being the pullers of that lever. Yes. You know, and white men in collusion with that because it, it helped to define their masculinity, protecting yes. their women. Yep. You know, protect him from this evil black rapist. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just to me, I I can feel that, you know, in my body mm-hmm. when I even when I see images of that, I can I can actually feel that. And I remember the first time feeling that as a kid and reading Richard Wright and hmm. and uh, even Baldwin and some of those, you know, I was lucky to read at a young age and just you know, it's it's funny when you can Feel your culture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's different when you just understand something mm-hmm. intellectually. You know, so I've always had an emotional connection to that outsiderness mm-hmm. and what that means. Mm-hmm. You know, and being put in a certain box mm-hmm. as a whole thing and not being allowed to be an individual. And white men, I see, have always been allowed to be individuals. Yes, they're de- they're de- everybody else gets human. in a box, yeah. and there's an expectation that you either live up to that expectation yeah. or you're against that. Well, he's articulate, you know, or she's different, you know, it's this, right. and, and it's <laughs> only the white guys just get to be that yeah. thing, you know. And you know, you can see it in literature, and you know, in power everywhere. everywhere, you know, and and now it feels like we're finally breaking out of that, yeah, you know, in many different ways, yeah, partly because some of the stories that are being told, yeah, you know, and. You know some of the personal accounts. As yeah, well, yeah, know. and I think it's this is an exciting conversation for us to have because mm-hmm. I actually do think that men of color and white women experience very similar moments where men go, "I want to, you know, I want to stand up for this guy because he's being taken down." So I want to stand up for this guy because I'm a man. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, a, a a black man may feel like he wants to stand up for another man because patriarchy 
wants you to sort of stand up for your team, but then you may feel like, you know, if if a white woman was standing up for an, another white person, you'd be like, wait a minute, you're just standing up for them because they're white. Mm-hmm. So the way that patriarchy and the way that white supremacy work is exactly the same. You know, Ta-Nehisi Coates wrote about how Trayvon, uh, that you know, the hoodie was this this kind of asking for it mm-hmm. signal. Even symbol. even Geraldo like even intimated that. Yeah. Even, yeah. So so mm-hmm. so the so the the vulnerability of the black male and the vulnerability of the woman is similar, which is if you aren't playing by the white man's rules, you were asking for it. You deserved what you got. Yeah. So I think. You know, as we start to move toward this this need for an intersectional power movement, we we need to understand how people of color, women, queer people, all the otherized people can become one big other to fight the power. Mm-hmm. We need to start to say, oh, yeah, white supremacy and patriarchy work in the exact same way. That feeling you get when you're looking at that, you know, the, the, the lynching and you go, oh, I can feel my otherness in my body. I can feel how this otherness is projected on me in my body. You know, that's how women feel watching Christine Blasey Ford talk about the laughter. Right. It's 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 in our bodies being otherized. Yeah. I thought that was probably the most arresting part of that entire testimony. Yeah. Is and the way she described the way that that gets seared as she goes yes. the, the hippocampus and yeah. she explained it in technical terms, which I found interesting yeah. as well. Um, it's I am other. I'm always going to be other mm-hmm. in white supremacy and patriarchy. So if I'm a woman, I'm always going to be other. You know what's interesting too, Joe, and I'm, I'm sure you have a really good perspective on this, is that even though I brought up the worst example of it, what people don't understand is that you need not have something insidious for it to still be oppressive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like people always think that there has to be Nazis at work here or there has to be some evil happening. Not at all. You know, in fact, what's in cities about, let's say, white supremacy or some of this stuff, is very good people can be in these positions. And for it's there's an unconsciousness that's yes. that's in effect here. Yes. Where to me the term woke requires a responsibility to the unwoke, not just and not just a, a a declaration of mm-hmm. the person that is woke too. And what do you think is the responsibility of the unwoke? The responsibility is to stop being unconscious. You know, is so to you like to teach unwoke people. Well, yeah, I mean, people have to make an effort. I think to know where they are and to know what the relationship is mm-hmm. in the world. You know, I even see that from. I think a lot of people who are on the left feel that way about America, and that's why people on the right think that they're they're not patriotic. But that's not true. Mm-hmm. They just have a different relationship in how America should be involved in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, they have a different relationship with that. Mm-hmm. That there should be more humility with it because we have so much power. Yeah. You know, and it shouldn't be like, well, we're the powerful ones, fuck everybody. Right. You know, we're the leaders, you know, or that type of thing. Well, even though that may be true, it doesn't mean that's what you have to wear. Yeah. You know. Um so I don't know. No, that's Just, I mean that's beautiful. I mean I think this is this question of whether there's power and vulnerability and power and tolerance and power and love. Because what you're, you know, if, if you talk about the literal version of you, of 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 the woke, let's call it the woke helping the unwoke. Mm-hmm. So that would mean I would come to work and tell a man who I work with every day, hey, you know, you're complimenting every woman who comes in on how she looks all day long. Mm-hmm. Stop it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's making you feel like a man to say you look so beautiful today and you're so pretty and whatever. Yeah. That feeling like a man, your power that makes you want to get up in the morning and want to move through the world as a man. Mm-hmm. Same shit where like 
white people are, you know, colonialists when they speak to black people, and they they might want they might bring up race when it wasn't there. They might want to talk about, um, they they might want to assume that somebody that a black person's blackness is part of the conversation they want to have with that white person, mm-hmm. just like men assume that women want to talk about how they look or their femaleness. That men, you know, men assume that women's femaleness is on the table. Mm-hmm. Default. Because I'm a man, so here comes a beautiful woman. I'm going to start to interact with her beauty, you know. So, you know, this idea that you would say to the white guy at work or the guy at work, hey, I know that this makes you feel powerful, but it's actually, it's not really coming from a, you know, it's really, it's actually increasing your power. Um, You need to lead with vulnerability. You need to, you know, lead with this feeling of allowing other people to have power over you, right? Because... White people use power over black people the same way men use power over women. So mm. they can feel like the default main person. They want to feel like the narrator in the world. So mm. they're like, the world is white. I'm white. That person is a that. That person is that kind of a that. The same way men use it for women, mm-hmm. white people use it for people of color. So now we have this word for privilege where, where it's centering the self. Mm-hmm. If the unwoke are waking, are try, if the wake are trying, if the woke are trying to wake up the unwoke, they're saying, "Don't center yourself." That's really hard to ask people to do. And by "don't center," what, what, what do you mean by that? Like, don't act like just because I'm white, I'm human neutral. Mm-hmm. Just because I'm a man, I'm human neutral. Mm-hmm. You're asking somebody to get up in the morning and walk out of their house without their privilege. That's a threat. Yeah. <laughs> Where does the uh, what else do you cover in your in your book, John? I try to like braid these three things. So mm-hmm. one is just you know sort of my parent came out as trans. Sure. I made a TV show. Mm-hmm. Holy shit, they picked it up. Oh yep. my god, we got nominated for a Golden Globe. This is what happened backstage at the Emmys. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yes. like one thing which is like behind so, the scenes Hollywood. So it's very straightforward of that, which yeah. is nice because people do people like, like to know it. those A lot things. of technique for writers talking yeah. about beat changes. That's and, great. Love that. Yeah, lots of like this By is, the way, I'd love to have you back on and we could talk about um, just the writing process. Yeah, here, anytime. Which would be great. Yeah. yeah. And so, then, yeah, one, of it, one strand is like Hollywood and then another strand is like my own personal gender family journey. So mm-hmm. like, oh my God, my marriage is falling apart. Fuck. Mm-hmm. What is this feeling? Does this mean I'm gay? Does this mean I'm trans? And at times, occasionally, juicy tales of mm-hmm. dating women. Valentine's Day, for example, which had always been a time where I was like, fuck, fucking, fucking, motherfucking, <laughs> yeah. fucking, fuck, fuck, Valentine's Day. That's fantastic. But then when yeah. I started dating women, That's I was great. like, I'm going to get this right because I know I can. And like no uh-huh. expectations, no feeling like a guy had to get it right for me, but more right. like, I'm going to get it right for her. Interesting. And yeah. so there's kind of that sort of like. Here's, Did you? Oh yeah. Okay. I know how to do it. All right, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this that interesting feeling of like, mm. well, this is um, he, here's a journey of self of self discovery becoming a lesbian, mm-hmm. and then the whole other third is this kind of consent haranguing, where okay. I'm just consent doing consent haranguing. Yeah, where I'm I'm sort of you know putting these theories out there about how femininity. In patriarchy, makes you a, an unreliable consenter in the eyes of the law. Mm-hmm. Your femaleness makes you not trusted. Yeah. Well, we see that on display in these hearings right now. Yes. Which um, do you do you think these Kavanaugh hearings? 
I mean, they tried to say this about the Anita Hill hearings, and I think the jury is still out on whether that had a real effect on society. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah. You know, it may have had a temporary one. Yeah. You know, I feel like we're so divided right now and in ways that, as I think as you point out, whether you intend to or not, I think people aren't even fully aware of some of, this, some of the types of divisions yeah. that, are, that are happening right now. Um, do you think this is a moment that goes past a political thing that's happening? Because it's... Because the political thing can be the overwhelming part of it. Yeah. Um, I think this is a huge moment for men, you know, because okay. there has been this divided feminine, but now there's this divided masculine. Okay. You know, where men are going, I'm not with that guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not that kind of guy. I'm this kind of guy. Right. And not afraid to say that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think women are waiting for men to come out and say it loudly mm-hmm. and say, you know, these things like, yeah, patriarchy fucking is a bitch mm-hmm. and toxic masculinity hurt my soul when I was 13. Mm. And I hated slumber parties where men had to look at girls or boys had to look at girls together. I hate that. And I hate that about being a man. Mm. I don't like that. If you say that publicly, you're kind of thought of as a pussy. Mm-hmm. I mean, tell the truth. Men can't really come out and call other men jerks for this kind of behavior and not be thought of is a little bit soft. You're going to get called things. I stopped caring about what people call me a long time mm-hmm. ago. Though. But you don't want to call out men. You know, men don't want to yeah. call out other men. They don't want to call out other men. Um, I think it depends what for. Yeah. I think men actually do like to call out men in that way. That happens a lot, actually. Yeah. It's kind of a, that's, it's kind of related to a sports thing, too. Yeah. You know? And it's the, if you're not acting manly enough, you're a pussy. Yes. You know, and that's, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, I've heard that very early on. Yeah. That that to me seems easy for men to say, not hard. Mm-hmm. And to tell that to other men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's a pussy. Man, stop being a pussy. Don't be a wimp. Don't be right, a but what about, is it hard to say the other thing, which is like, just because I care and love and don't like violence doesn't mean I'm a pussy. Yeah, I think men that have said that, other men could just kind of ignore it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I think. Yeah. Um, or they go, well, you just proved that you're a pussy. Exactly. Yeah, so, right. like, what is this thing that right. we're talking about? Like, this thing here, when you ask about, is it a, about, po- you know, what what goes beyond politics? Mm-hmm. I think we start to go to this question of, um, you, you, you necessarily get into this question of soul. Yeah. Because the thing about consent, one of the things I talk about is the law acts like consent happens in a snapshot. Mm-hmm. That there's a moment when a woman says yes, and it's fair game after that. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, a woman could say yes to kissing and no to sex. Mm-hmm. A woman could say yes to, you know, rolling around in bed and taking her shirt off and no to everything else. But that would involve an ongoing spiritual soul connection between two people who are constantly checking in to make sure the other one's okay. Mm-hmm. When you're like, well, who would do that where they're constantly checking in to right. make sure the other person is okay? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like people who believe in love or people who believe in connection. And this idea of like tolerance and wokeness being about powerlessness and letting go of your privilege. Like these, I think these are these questions that are beyond politics. Do you think all relationships require that? Because I have a different opinion of that. I think some relationships require it, but I don't think all. Mm-hmm. You know, I think many people are just connected. You know, that's mm-hmm. just, I mean, those are those lucky relationships that we call them, you know, where mm-hmm. they don't, 
the the constant checking in is a given, you know, because mm-hmm. they just right. they're able to see each other and support each other in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've ever been in that type of relationship, you know the difference. Anyone that's yes. been in that type of relationship, you know that difference when that person is supporting you. It always feels like the other types are the. I think we've set up. Well, I shouldn't say that because we've acted horribly in the past too. Mm-hmm. But I think we're in such a hookup culture mm-hmm. that. That almost has to go on because there's such a shallowness in the coupling from the beginning anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, so that almost has to go on. And almost like I mean? a competitiveness. Yeah, but if you're talking about an actual relationship, I think it just takes on a different thing. There's, mm-hmm. there's, there already should be or, you know, you would hope that there would be that type of thing. And mm-hmm. I think in good relationships that does exist, yes. you know. Um, but people, I think, need to be able to be, I mean, I don't want to be like sex shaming. I think people need to be free to have casual sex without us saying, like, only deep relationships are, are capable of that. Well, I think people consent. should be realistic about what they're getting into is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. That people should know there's a distinction between shallow, you know, hooking up and a relationship. And if they if they don't know that, then they should they should start to know that there's a difference. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's a, in other words, I feel there's a cost to everything that you do. And mm-hmm. it. It's to your benefit to know the thing that you're doing, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you know, things aren't the same, mm-hmm. you know. And if you're going to, you know, this requires, I think, a longer conversation, mm-hmm. you know. But um, to me, that's part of being woke is being aware of what you're doing, mm-hmm. you know. And, it, not, yeah. and not acting like things don't aren't different, mm-hmm. you know, and that there's not a difference in the world in different yeah. ways. Because that's what causes the problem in the first place. Yeah. Well, I think if you don't yeah. know somebody very well and— There's a cost to that, I believe. Yeah, and if one yeah. person is male and one person is female, then patriarchy is at play. Completely. Whereas I think, you know, potentially— uh, I think people don't really talk about that, that sort of the the masculine and feminine dynamic where um, a man will assume, for example, Mm -hmm. that he needs to read her signals Mm -hmm. to carefully, you know, design a sex experience to make sure, you know, that she's consenting. You know, that's, that's present in heterosexual couplings in a way that it isn't in queer couplings. Mm If you have two women, if you have two men, they're reading each other's signals in a different way. Whereas a man and a woman, they take on these roles. Like, the the woman's not going to articulate her desire. The man is. It's a setup for trouble. Sometimes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Maybe I'm talking about, yeah. I think that's one type of relationship. Yeah. But I don't think that describes all, you know. Yeah. I think, yes, that would be a troubling thing, but— I mean, without going into my life, I've been in many different types of dynamics, you know, where— I've seen different types well, of things. Well, it's not safe for women to articulate their desire. It's not safe for women to articulate their, their desire. That's what I mean. Some women do, but they're taking a risk. Yeah. Well, Jim, thank you so much. For thank being you. Here. We're just, I mean, I feel like we're at the start of a conversation yes. rather than at the end. But um, please, uh, uh, what was the title again? It's called She Wants It. She Wants It, which yes. is a great title. Um, and Jill is about to start a huge book tour. And I think I saw um, Hannah Gatsby is yes. going to be part of it, yeah. right? Which, uh, um, who has a brilliant special on Netflix right yes. now. Yes. Which is so funny. Yeah, she and, really inspires uh, and me. very moving, yeah, yeah, in a lot of ways. So I'm sure that's going to be a great ticket for people out there to yes. see both of you guys together and, yeah. and talking about some yeah, of we'll this Yeah, we'll be stuff. in Chicago, New York, Philly, San Francisco, Seattle, and L.A. Great. Awesome. Yeah. Um, Jill Soloway, everybody. Transparent and lots of good stuff. Thanks, Larry. (laughs) Talk to you. Bye.